Thank you for listening to this message from the pulpit of New Grace Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. We hope the message you are about to hear is a blessing to you and your family. Uh, Acts chapter 4. Of course, we are, we are continuing our study through the book of Acts. And uh, as we have been looking at the book of Acts this year, uh, really our main focus is this whole year, as you know, is the, the year of prayer. And so we're, we're, we're giving you every opportunity you can to pray. We've got the Apostles' Prayer board here where we're asking you to put your Apostles' Prayer requests. And then, of course, we know when they're answered. I've given you uh, prayer journals. I've given you prayer guides. I've given you prayer lists. I've I give you everything possible to help you pray. So if you are still struggling in your prayer life, that's that's not my fault anymore. That's your fault. And like last year, I gave you every opportunity to read the Bible. I gave you all kinds of, of, of Bible reading programs. We did it throughout the year. So if you didn't read the Bible last year, that was on you, not me. I've done my part. And so now you need to do your part. But one of the things we're looking at in the book of Acts is how prayer really impacted the growth of the church. The first century church was an, an incredible church. And people have done uh, studies on that church and how it grew. Because if you really study the book, the church in the book of Acts, they went from a group of about 120 people in an upper room praying, uh, waiting on the Holy Spirit to over 1 million believers just a year later. That is incredible church growth. And one of the main factors to their growth was their prayer life. Yes, they received the Holy Spirit, but they received the Holy Spirit after what? After praying for 10 days. Now, God had promised to send in the Holy Spirit, so, you know, if they hadn't been praying, or if they had just been, you know, watching TV, the Holy Spirit would have come, uh, because God had promised it to them. But, and every one of us, as God's children, if you've accepted Christ as your Savior, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit. You are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. But the difference between the church then and the church today is they were looking at how they could serve God. They were looking at ways about how they could be used by the Spirit. And their prayer life was really a major part of that. Now, last year, or last week, I'm sorry, we looked at Acts chapter 3. And we saw the first miracle performed by the church since the ascension of Jesus. Jesus had ascended, uh, then 40 days uh, had ascended, uh, and then 10 days later, they received the Holy Spirit, they preached at Pentecost, 3,000 people get saved, and then a couple of weeks later, Peter and John are going to the temple during prayer time to preach the gospel and to preach about Christ, and they see this lame man, the Bible says has been lame from birth, they see him sitting there begging, and he asks them for money, and he says, I can't give you money, but what I do, I can't do that, I'll give you, stand up in the name of Jesus, and of course, this, this lame man gets up, and he starts leaping, and running, and just praising God, and is able for the first time in his life to go into the temple, because remember, we told you last week, according to the Jewish law, anyone who was crippled could not go into the temple of God. So this man had never been able to go into the temple of God, and now he's healed, and he goes to the temple, and people see it, and they're, they're asking all these questions, and Peter preaches the gospel there, and really kind of uh, aggressively like, oh, well, they say, how did you do this? Who gave you the authority to do this? And he goes, oh, you remember that guy Jesus that y'all killed? Yeah, he did. So very aggressive, very kind of in-your-face, preaches the gospel. That's why I love Peter. He's, he, I mean, he goes from being a coward who's denying Jesus when some uh, some milkmaid says, hey, aren't you one of those followers? He denies him three times. And he goes from a coward who's hiding to kind of just bold in your face. Hey, you idiots killed the Messiah and here's what you're going to do. Repent and be saved. And so he preaches the gospel and the Bible tells us 5,000 people get saved. In that one message. And then we come to chapter 4. Where they're in trouble because of what they did. Now, one of the main objections that people have to Christianity, not just in the first uh, church, but throughout history, was the fact that Christianity kind of seems exclusive. Saying that Jesus is the only way of salvation seems unfair. You know, talk to people about this. They're like, so you're telling me that someone who 
grows up in a, a, a third world or a, a remote location, and they, they never hear the name of Jesus, they never hear about God at all, and they, they die and they stand before you know the pearly gates, because we all have that image that when you die, you stand before the pearly gates, and Peter's there, check and roll. You know, Peter's like, oh, your name's on the list, great, you get me out, oh, no, you can't. You know, and, uh, um, so people are standing by the pearly gates, and you get there, and Peter says, oh, your name's on the list, because you never accepted Jesus. I've never heard of Jesus. Well, too bad, you gotta go to hell. And people are like, that, that seems unfair. Now, I'll be honest with you, as a believer, as a preacher, it seems unfair. But that's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that no man is without excuse because nature itself declares the glory of God. Plus, God's given us, as His children, the responsibility to make sure everyone has heard the gospel. You know, but even someone who maybe did know about God, they never really accepted Christ, they never became a Christian, but they, they lived a moral life. They were a good person. They never hurt anyone on purpose. They never broke any laws. They, never, they were faithful to their spouse. They gave to the poor. They helped people as much as they could. And you know, this good, moral, kind person dies and goes to heaven. But because they didn't accept Jesus, they have to go to hell. It seems, seems unfair. That was the objection in the first century church. It's the objection of many people today. In fact, for the first time in history, a majority of believers, people who claim to have accepted Jesus as their Savior, who claim to believe that the death, burial, and resurrection is the only of salvation, who claim to be children of God, a majority of them believe that God is not the only way of salvation. Recent LifeWay uh, Bible research article said that in 2020, 51% of evangelicals believe that God accepts worship from anybody, in any form, in any religion, in any faith. If you believe in a higher power, and you live a good life, God will accept you. Believers believe that. Now, if you really break down the demographics of that study, it's mostly the younger believers. The millennials and zennials, I don't know what they're called anymore. Uh, you know, these people over here. The young folk. They believe that. Because, it's, again, it seems unfair. Why would a loving God send a good person to hell just because... They had the wrong religion. Let me stop right here and tell you, religion has nothing to do with it. I don't believe I'm going to heaven because I'm a Baptist. I believe I'm going to heaven in spite of the fact that I'm a Baptist. God looks at Baptists and says, you know what? Y'all are wrong on so much stuff. But man, you got the gospel right, so I'll let you in. So I don't think, oh, Baptist is the only way to heaven. No, 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 no. It's not, it has nothing to do with being Baptist or Pentecostal or Methodist or anything. It has to do with faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ as payment for your sin only. So I don't care what denomination you call yourself. If you believe that, then you're a believer. But people who claim to believe that think, well, but even you know, good, moral people get to go to heaven. See, the problem with that. It sounds, sounds good. It sounds accepting. But it's contradictory to what the Bible teaches us. The Bible tells us, you know, Jesus himself said, No man comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say nobody comes to the Father but by living a good life. No man comes to the Father but by being a decent person. No man comes to the Father by being a certain religion. No, he goes, nobody comes to the Father unless they come through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. You know, it's also, it's kind of an unwritten rule that you don't tell people that their faith and their religion is wrong. You ever told someone how they believed was wrong and it go over well? I remember when I first uh, got into ministry, uh, I was a youth pastor in Lynchburg, and man, I had 
like nobody's business and no knowledge at all. And y'all, y'all know my, my I grew up Jehovah's Witness. My mom is still a practicing Jehovah's Witness, and so I can say anything I want about her. Of course, she's never going to hear this sermon because if you listen to it, she'd be in trouble with her elders. So I can say whatever I want about her. I love my mom. Uh, I help my mom out a lot in all I can. And I remember, you know, one day uh, I was at her house, me and April, and we were talking, and it got to religion, it got to faith, and it got to, you know, the how I, because I was a Christian, and she thought she's a Christian, because I'm a Baptist, I'm better than her because she's a witness. And we started talking about the Bible, and I remember I told her her Bible was translated by witches and whoremongers. You know, well, that went over. She kicked me out of her house. She looked at me, her favorite son. And I know I'm her favorite son because in her phone, I am saved under favorite son. Now, I'm saved under that because I set up her phone, but still, she looked me in dead in the eye and said, get out of my house. So, telling someone their religion is wrong never goes over well. Now, it seems harsh when you really understand the gospel. It seems exclusive that God only accepts this type of person and everyone else is kicked out. But here's the thing. It is the most inclusive thing in the world because, yes, you have to have this one faith, but it's open to everybody. All who are willing can come to the Father. God's not willing that any should perish. And so Acts chapter 4 it deals with this objection at the beginning of the Christian movement, the beginning of the birth of the church. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 4, starting at verse number 1. The Bible says, And as they spake unto the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, we're going to pause and we're going to do this. Again, this is immediately after the healing that we saw last week. There's this lame man outside the temple. He's been lame his whole life. He's never been able to walk. He's never had strength in his legs. And they heal him and immediately he's healed. He's jumping around. He's praising God. He's going to the temple for the first time and worshiping. He's just, he's just ecstatic. And so people come to Peter and John and say, how did you do this? Who gave you the authority to do this? And they, they explain that this miracle was a picture that of Jesus' power. And now Jesus had power, yes, to heal this man, but he also had the power through his death, burial, and resurrection to heal the soul. And the Sadducees and the, the Pharisees and the priests, this really bothered them because, remember, they hated Jesus. They're the ones that wanted to kill him. We saw several weeks ago when, when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, right after he rose Lazarus from the dead, the very next verse, the Bible says, the priests and Sadducees began from that day to say, we got to kill that guy. That's in the, the English, not the original Greek. But he said, we got to kill him. We have to figure out a way to get rid of this guy. They hated him because Jesus was a threat to their power. Because also, as a group, the Sadducees as a group had rejected the concept of resurrection from the dead for anybody. They didn't believe anyone was going to rise from the dead. Not the Messiah, not believers, nobody. They thought, once you're dead, you're dead. So they didn't believe in the Messiah. They didn't. And so or anyone that believed in him would be resurrected. So these, these people, these Sadducees, these priests, they have no They have no hope. And Peter and John, they are preaching the opposite of what they have dedicated their lives to teach the people. And the worst part of it is, people are listening to them. People are being converted because of them. Then look at verse number three. And they laid hands on them and put, hold, and put them in hold until the next day out. Laying hands isn't what, you know, I'm going to lay hands and heal you. No, lay hands is, you know, is bad. They grabbed them and threw them in jail. They laid hands on them and put them in hold until the next day. For it was eventide. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of men was about 5,000. Now, so 5,000 men, 
healing had accepted Christ as their Savior. Let's add to the 3,000 men who had accepted Christ at Pentecost. Now, this isn't just men. It's kind of like the feeding of the 5,000, where it says 5,000 were healed, 5,000 men were fed, plus their wives and children. It's just, and look, again, I know it's 2022, and we're woke and all that. I'm just saying, that's how the culture was. Women and children didn't really matter at this point. I don't agree with it. That's just what it was. The men were the ones that counted. So basically, what they're saying is 8,000 households have been saved in just these few days. So realistically, the church has grown by probably about 40,000 people since the church followers have received the Holy Spirit. That is a huge movement. That's a much bigger movement than even Jesus had while he was alive before his resurrection and ascension. Jesus, while he was on earth before his death burial and resurrection, while he was he only had a couple of thousand people following him, and now his followers have over 40,000 people who are following them and listening to them, and it's a big danger to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But he was revived. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas, the high priest, and Cephas and John and Alexander, and as many were of the kindred of the high priests, were gathered together at Jerusalem. Uh, and when they had sent them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, feeling the Holy Ghost, now again, they bring them in, they got all the rules, they say, Okay, who gave you authority to do this? And Peter, again, Peter, who doesn't pull any punches, starts talking. Then Peter, from the Holy Ghost, said to them, You rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he is made whole, be it known to you all and the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, who God raised from the dead, even by him does this man stand here before you hold. So they ask, all right, who gave you the authority? Who gave you the right to do this? And I love what Peter tells him who did it. He kind of asks, he goes, are, are you really? You're putting this on trial for healing a guy? You're mad because we helped somebody? That seems a bit extreme. I was uh, reading an article several years ago uh, about the adoption explosion in evangelical circles. Specifically, foreign adoptions. And it has exploded over the years. A lot of evangelical churches are really pushing uh, adoption and false care. Look, if you can do it, if you're able to do it, if you have the money to do it, do it. I think it's a wonderful opportunity. But they were talking about the explosion of adoption in evangelical circles. And one criticism of these Christians who were adopting, especially foreign adoption, was they said that today's evangelicals suffer from pathological altruism. Now, altruism is having an unselfish concern for others. It is having a desire to help in any way possible. Now, look, I think if the best, the worst thing they can say about us is we try to help people too much, I think that's pretty good. And that's what Peter's saying. Peter's like, you're really mad that we're helping people? You know, we're not, we're not out here you know, getting an army together to riot. We're, we're just, we just healed a guy. And that, that upsets you? So he says that not only did, he says that their power came from Jesus. And basically he says, look, if you're going to put us on trial for helping people, just know that we are helping people through Christ. So look at verse number 11. <clears throat> it says, talking again, he goes, uh, remember, first verse 4, we're, we're doing this by Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, and God raised from the dead, verse 11. This is the stone, Jesus here, this is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which become the head of the corners. Now, in those days, the cornerstone of the building was the most important part of the building. Nowadays, usually when you have a cornerstone in the building, it's, it's, it's really kind of decorative. It's just, hey, we're going to put this cornerstone here. Maybe we'll carve the date of when the building was born or, or when the building was built or when this, this uh, facility, when this uh, 
organization was established, but in those days, the, the cornerstone was like the foundation. Everything rested on the cornerstone. So if you would remove the cornerstone, the building would fall. So everything about the building, its height, its dimensions, the ability it had to withstand storms, everything was based on the strength of that stone. And Peter says, Jesus, the one you killed, the one you crucified, the one God raised from the dead, He is the foundation of, of what is happening. You rejected Him. But God has made Him the cornerstone of the building. Look at verse 12. Neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other, than, none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Now, that phrase, and we're going to look at that in a minute because we've got to remember who wrote the book of Acts here, or who the human author was, but that, that phrase, they were unlearned and ignorant men. Basically, what he's saying is, when they, they heard how bold they were, and realized how stupid they were because they weren't learned men, they weren't educated men, they were just dumb fishermen. They knew these people have been with Christ. These people have spent time with Jesus. Now, John and Peter, they, they were not educated men like the Pharisees and like the Sadducees. These men had spent years going through school and getting educated, having mentors and learning all kinds of stuff to get where they are. And here's Peter and John who are not educated. They're common. They're fishermen. But despite having no education, despite having no, no really class in society, they spoke with authority. The same authority that Jesus spoke with while He was on earth. Look at verse number 14. And beholding the man which was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. So again, you know, you got these Pharisees and Sadducees, they pulled Peter and John, and this, this lame guy, you know, this lame guy who got healed, who's working at the temple, he gets arrested with them, he gets under the jail for the night with them, now they bring them before this kind of high council, and it's not just the Pharisees and Sadducees there, the people have kind of gathered to see what's going to happen, and so there's a large crowd looking to see what's going to happen. And they're like, how did you do this? And Peter is speaking with authority and people are listening and they want to dismiss him. They want to say, hey, what you're doing is wrong and you're lying to people. But they got this crippled guy who everyone knew was crippled standing right there jumping around proving that they had done what they had said they had done, that they had the power they said they had. So like, look, not only are they speaking with authority, but that crippled guy won't shut up. So we can't really do anything. We can't dismiss them. We can't say they're lying because everybody knows they're not. Then look at uh, number 15. Because again, they knew that they were going to be, if they, if they publicly denounced them, the crowd would turn against them. Look at verse 15. But when they commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle has been done by them. It is manifest to all that they go in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us greatly threaten them, that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. So they, they knew. They get, they get the other private and they like, look, we know that Jesus gave them the power to heal this guy. The proof's right there. We can't deny the miracle. But we can't have them going around telling people that Jesus gave them the power to heal this guy. So they, they basically they come and say, look, we, we understand that what you did, it's a miracle, we, we recognize it, but you've got to shut up about it. You can't tell anybody else, you can't be preaching about it, and if you do that, we're going to punish you. Look at verse 19. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than to God judge you. He goes, look, 
if you would rather us listen to you than God, you think we should listen to you over God? That's up to you to decide. You know, you can figure out if you're more powerful than God. That's between you. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing, how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. So Peter and John say, look guys, if y'all think we should listen to you over God, that's for you to decide. But we, we have to tell people what we've seen. We have to tell people what we've witnessed. And so their response to Pharisees and Sadducees, their response to Pharisees is, no guys, we're serious. Stop healing people. Stop preaching the name of Jesus. Just stop. Now look, we saw last week that this miracle and every miracle we see in the book of Acts, it, it gave a you know, it was a purpose to these miracles. The purpose of this miracle and every miracle in the book of Acts was to point people to Jesus. But it also addresses one of the primary objections to Christianity. That salvation is only found in Jesus. And look, this isn't a new controversy today. The apostles... Uh, they're not in trouble because they believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. They were in trouble because they had convinced over 40,000 people to believe that Jesus had risen from the dead. And they, they not told anyone that disagreed with them. They, they didn't go to anybody that disagreed with them and say, you're wrong and you're accountable to God. Uh, there's, they were telling people there's no other name under heaven that you have to be saved by. The only way to salvation, the only way to heaven is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ who you crucified, you nailed to the cross, but God rose him up and he is the only way of salvation. So the, the culture at the, the first church was born into was very pluralistic. The Romans, of course, are in charge at this time. And as we told you, the Romans were very open to religious freedom. You could worship any gods you wanted to. You could worship any gods you wanted to. You could worship them however you wanted to worship them. Your, your worship and your praise, you could worship any god or any gods any way you wanted to. You just couldn't tell anyone else they were wrong. You couldn't be a dog worshiper and tell cat worshiping people they were wrong. Now, we know people who like cats are wrong. The Bible goes against cats, you know. The devil is a lion, lions are cats, boom, there you go. So, scripture that God hates cats. Now, I have a cat, I love that cat because I never see that cat. That cat stays downstairs and that cat could die and I wouldn't know for three days so I'll start staying. Uh, that's why I love that cat. Um, but anyway, so you couldn't be a dog worshiper and tell cat worshippers they were wrong. You could worship anybody you wanted to, any way you wanted to. You just had to keep it to yourself. Now, throughout history, the fundamental religious question that people have had is, are there multiple ways to God? Can anybody get to God any way they chose? And a lot of people, they kind of explain it like God is on the top of a mountain. And there are many paths up that mountain. You take your path, I'll take my path, and we will both get to the top of the mountain we just get there different ways. That's what a lot of people like to teach. And again, it sounds fair. It sounds good, but it's wrong. So Peter, his explanation deals with the biggest objection that people have about salvation through Jesus only. Here's the biggest objection that the people in Peter and John's day, the people in our day have with us saying that Jesus is the only way of salvation. Objection is, it is arrogant. It is arrogant to say that Jesus is the only way to God, and so we have the only way to God. So if you think Jesus is the only way, then you must think you are better than other people. Because Jesus is the only way, you have found the only way, so you're better than everybody else. It must mean that God prefers you to other people. But let's, let's look at those questions. Does Peter, in these verses, does Peter claim to be smarter than anybody else? No. 
smarter than anyone else. In fact, he goes out of his, the, the writer of the book of Acts goes out of his way to point out that they were dumber than everybody else. Again, look at verse number 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. Now remember, Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. So Luke is writing this about Peter and John, his friends, his co-laborers in the ministry. And he says, look, everybody knew they were dumb. Everybody knew they weren't the smartest knives in the drawer. So basically, Luke says, my friends aren't smart. How do you think Peter felt when he finally read this book of Acts? He gets there and goes, Luke just called me dumb. But that's what Luke did. Luke said, they're not smart. They are so uneducated, it's ridiculous. So Peter doesn't claim to be smart. But what Peter says is, look, I'm not... He's, I'm not educated like you. I don't have all the, the exegesis of verses down like you. I don't know the original languages like you do. I don't know the original like you do. But what I do know is what I've seen. What I do know is what I've experienced. I know I saw Jesus die on the cross. I know I saw him be buried in a tomb. And I know I saw him alive and risen from the dead three days later. I know I spent 40 days walking with him. I know he ascended to heaven. And I know he gave me the power of the Holy Spirit. And I have to speak what I know and what I have experienced. It has nothing to do with his intelligence. It has to do with what he knew to be true. He saw Jesus died. He saw him buried. He saw the guarded tomb. But he also saw him alive. He ate with him. He spent time with him after his death and resurrection. He saw him ascend to heaven. So he's saying, look, you can believe the guys with college degrees, and you can believe the guys with all the training, or you can believe the guy who rose from the dead. I'm going to believe the guy who rose from the dead. I'm going to believe what Jesus has taught because I've experienced it. It's not arrogant to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. It's arrogant to say he's not who he says he is and who he said he proved to be. See, believing who Jesus is who he says, it's humbling, not arrogant. Because it means admitting that we aren't smart enough to figure out the truth. So God revealed it to us. So Peter doesn't claim to be smarter. He says, I just, I know what I've seen. I know what I've experienced. And look, you guys can say, I didn't see what I saw, but I know I saw what I saw. Does Peter claim to be morally superior to them? Not at all. Back in Acts chapter 3, chapter 12, the Bible says when Peter saw it, what? The people, again, the people are coming to him. They're asking him, how did y'all this, what gave you the power to do this? When Peter saw you answer the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this man, or why do you stare at us as if we, by our own power or piety, we made him walk? Peter says, we didn't heal him because we're good people. We didn't heal him because we're moral people. Pete Peter, he still remembers where he denied Jesus. This is about 50 days before. Where he's warming himself by the fire, watching Jesus be put on trial. And that maid comes to him and says, hey, weren't you one of his followers? And three times he denies him until he curses and swears to deny Jesus. And when he does, the cock crows and Jesus looks at him and he remembers what he did. He remembers his failures. He knows that he's not deserving. But he also knows that salvation is a gift of grace from God. God gave healing to this layman when he believed, and he gives salvation to those that believe in him. Look, this layman, he had no strength in his own legs. He, had, he, he did nothing to heal himself. He didn't go to physical therapy. He didn't get surgery. He didn't go to the gym to get strong enough to do it, to get the strength in his legs. He was helpless and hopeless and could do nothing for himself, and God him miraculously. And he healed him because he had faith. Believing that Jesus is the only way of salvation has nothing to do with being morally superior. It actually has to do with realizing 
You can do nothing of your own power, so God did it all for you. But maybe people still think it's, it's exclusive. You know, they don't like that religion or faith puts someone on the outside. That even we say, it's not because we're morally superior, it's just we've accepted Christ. Well, that's great, but that means anyone who doesn't accept accepted Christ is, is on the outside. And so we're excluding them. Here's the thing. Every religion does that. If all religions lead to heaven. If you say all religions lead to heaven, you are excluding someone. You know who you're excluding? Non-religious people. People who don't care about religion. Who don't go to church or temple or whatever. The people who stay home on worship day and live there. They're not religious, so you're saying all religions lead to God. Great, you've just excluded people who aren't religious. Okay. So he said, okay, then good. Uh, whoever, all good people go to heaven. Doesn't matter if you're religious. Doesn't matter if you believe in a God. Doesn't matter if you do. But if you're a good person, you go to heaven. Sounds great. You know who you're excluding? Bad people. And who gets to decide who's bad? You? Me? We all have a definition of who's bad. And look, we all have people who we know we know should be on that list. Murderers, rapists, child molesters, human traffickers. They're bad people. But then we all have a different list. We put you know, on my list, you know who are bad people? Pokey fans. They're bad people. You may think Democrats are bad people. We all think Putin's a bad guy, right? We all get behind that statement, right? But so if you say bad people go to hell, good people go to heaven, you basically have become God because you decide who's good and bad, and you're excluding people who you don't agree with. All religions, all moral viewpoints are exclusive. Everyone has a line of who is, who is in, and who isn't. See, the gospel is different. It's a different kind of exclusivity. It teaches that acceptance by God is not based on what we do. It's not based on your moral record. It's not based on your education. It's not based on your race or your political viewpoint. It's a gift of all who repent and believe that Jesus came as God in the flesh, lived a perfect, sinless life because we never could die a death that we should have died. He became sin for us, was buried, and rose again to give us the righteousness of God. Amen. And all we have to do is put our faith and trust in that. Amen. See, the layman, he's a picture of us. Like, look, according to the Jewish temple, this guy, he could never, he could never go to the temple. Because lame people, crippled people, sick people weren't allowed to come into the presence of God. Guess what? We're all lame. We're all crippled. We're all sick with sin. We are like that. We have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We, as people, stand under God's judgment, under God's wrath. But here's the thing. You think you're too bad for God? You think you've done too much bad things in your life? Preacher, you don't know what I've done. Look, you know, I told you before that song, uh, Sinner Saved by Grace. First of all, I hate that because I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm a saint in front of God. But also, I hate the line, if you could see where I once was, if you could go with me back to where I started from, and I, I know that you would see. Look, if you could see everything I've done in my past, you wouldn't be in this church right now listening to me preach. Why? Because I know what I've done. I know. I, I wasn't raised in church. I, again, I was raised up the witness got out when I was 12 and so, but when I was a teenager, my theory was I'm going to do whatever I want to do, and I want to do a lot of bad stuff. <coughs> so you may think, man, you don't know what my past is. It doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what you've done or what was done to you or where you came from. It doesn't matter because God can heal you. No matter how sick you are, God can heal you. Think you're not that bad? Maybe you think, well, you know, I wasn't like you. I grew up in church. 
I was, I grew up, you know, I've heard people say I was raised on drugs. My mama drugged me to church on Sunday morning, drugged me to church on Sunday night, drugged me to church on I was, I was raised on drugs. Like I was, I was born in church. First, you know, first Sunday I was alive. My mama had me in church and I, I know that you think you're not that bad, great. You know what the thing is, no matter how good you think you are, God's judgment is still on you. Because no matter how good you think you are, before God, all your righteousness is a filthy rats. So you think you're too bad for God? God can heal you. Think you're too, you're good enough for God? You gotta realize you're still under the judgment of God. And when you realize that, when you realize no matter how bad you are or how good you are, God died for all of us that we can all come to Him and be saved through His death and resurrection. When you realize that, it doesn't make you arrogant. <coughs> Judgmental makes you loving and gracious. See, believing the gospel changes the shape of your life. You're not arrogant because you're, you realize you're not accepted because of you. You're not accepted because of good works. You're not accepted because of moral superiority. You're not accepted because of better education. None of that brings salvation. The gospel says God healed with, healed you when you were lame and you had nothing to do with it. God saves you when you were lost and you had nothing to do with it. And that humbles you. Makes you gracious and forgiving because that's what God has done for you. See, the center of the Christian faith is a man on the cross loving people who hated him, who rejected him, who spit on him. It is Jesus giving himself for people that hate him, offering his life as a sacrifice to the very people taking his life. So saying he's the only way is exclusive. It's inclusive because it's given to everyone. It's open to all who accept Him as their Savior. See, salvation is about a sin debt that every single one of us owed and none of us could pay. We were condemned. We were without hope. This lame man, he had no hope of himself. His problems kept him from getting to the presence of God. Your sin, my sin, keeps us from the presence of God. We are dead in our sins. And God did for us what we could never do. He paid our sin debt by living the life we could never live. He lived a sinless life. He died the death we were condemned to die. He became sin for us so we could have the rights of God. He was raised from the dead so that He could live in us, through us, through the power of the Holy Spirit. See, He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. His wounds healed us. No matter how good you are, you could have never paid the debt that you owe to God. Because if you wanted to pay that sin debt, you had to be perfect. And you can't be. You're born in sin. I remember when I was in Bible college. I told you before, uh, I was in Bible college. I was working at True Green. I was doing lawn work. And I got... I got bit by a mosquito. And it was in Gary, Indiana. Gary, Indiana mosquitoes are scary mosquitoes. And it looked weird. But I got bit by a mosquito. I think it, I smacked it and went on about my day. A couple days later, I started, you know, the next day I felt kind of feverish. My, my throat was sore. And, uh, you know, it turned out I had, I had strep throat. And I was a broke college student. I didn't have any insurance. I didn't have any money. So April, because, you know, I've told you before when I broke my pinky toe, she told me to use peppermint essential oil to heal it. She, you know, she got all this witchcraft stuff, so she's like, just eat garlic. So I'm like, okay, I'll cure this strep throat by eating garlic. And so I ate garlic and my breath stank for a while, uh, but it didn't help. Uh, the strep throat and that mosquito that bit me had West Nile. So that West Nile and that strep kind of combined and paralyzed me for three days. I was at work, and suddenly I couldn't lift my arm or raise my, or hold my, my, my uh, pen. So I had to drive back home from Chicago 
to Gary and go to the hospital. And I had a five-speed truck at the time. Have you ever tried to drive a five-speed truck and you can't use your hands? It's not fun, but I did it. God was with me. So we go to the hospital, and I'm, I'm in the hospital in the ICU for four days. They run every test imaginable on me. I've got spinal taps and CT scans and MRIs and all this stuff. And they're putting all kinds of medicine in me. And finally, they kind of, the antibiotic works and they, you know, cure it. And I'm healed and I'm able to go home. And about a month later, I got a bill for $175,000. I had no money. Now, that was a debt. million years, but I'm never going to pay this debt off. But eventually, if I needed to, I could have eventually finally paid it down. But I went there and I'm like, look, I know y'all did all this stuff. I'm thankful and I'm grateful, but you, I ain't got nothing. And so uh, finally they I got this program and it was like a charitable program and they paid the whole debt. So I, I ended up walking out and having to pay anything. And that was so gracious. I love I was so appreciative that never pay off that debt. But look, my sin debt was greater than any medical bill I could ever have. Because again, eventually I, I could. I could get several jobs. I could take out loans. I could do whatever. I could pay that debt if I had to. I could never pay my sin debt. And Jesus paid it for me. But he didn't just pay it for me. He paid it for the entire world. And all who accept his gift of salvation are adopted into his family. See, this, we can't, if we could save ourselves, then there would be multiple ways that God uses to choose one. But we can't, and there isn't. We have to put our faith in him. He is the only means of salvation for everyone who trusts in him. And that's not arrogant, it's humble. That isn't exclusive. It's open to whosoever will. Acts chapter 2. Peter says, And whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not whoever is smart enough. Not whoever is moral enough. Whoever calls on God. That is inclusive. Jesus rose from the dead to lay out a way of salvation. And it's the only way that's open to everyone. Now maybe you're here or you're watching and you think this is, you still have an objection. Well, it seems unfair. You say there's only one way to heaven. But it's, it's not fair. It's not unfair. It's grace. God did for the whole world what we can never do. He died so we wouldn't have to. He rose from the dead to redeem us to God because there was no other way. And He made it open to everyone who would believe on Him and put their faith in His finished work. He's not excluding anyone. It includes everyone who is willing to accept His finished work. So if you've, you're here today or you're watching today and you've never accepted the gift of salvation, the Bible says, Today is the day to do it. Behold, today is the day of salvation. And maybe you're here, and I know most of you here are professing Christians. You're like me. You've accepted Christ. You know that you found the only way to heaven. What does that mean for you this morning? Where's the question you have to ask yourself? If you really believe that Jesus Christ is the only way of salvation... For everyone in the entire world, what are you doing about it? The world is lame. The world is shut out of the presence of God, and we know how they can be healed. It would have been cruel for Peter to walk past this lame man and not offer him healing. We had the power to do so. How cruel is it for us who believe that we have the only way of salvation to not share the news with those who've never heard, <coughs> with those who've never accepted. According to the Joshua Project, there are 2.6 billion, that's billion with a B, billion people in the world who have never heard the gospel. Not 2.6 billion who've never accepted it, 2.6 billion who have never 
earn it. <coughs> there are 6,645 6, people groups. People group is a group of people with 10,000 or more people who speak the same language, have the same culture, but there are 6,645 people groups who have no access to the gospel in their language. We can do three things about it. We can deny it and hope that God does have another way. Hope that there is some way we don't know about. We can ignore it and hope that it works out. Or we can embrace it. And if we, when we embrace it, it changes us. See, when you embrace the truth that you have the only means of salvation and that people have to, and you have the responsibility by God to share that news with the world and those around you, it changes how you view the world. It changes how you view your neighbors. It changes how you view refugees in your area. It changes how you pray. Instead of praying, Lord, send someone, we start praying, Lord, here am I. Send me. Use me. Carl Henry, old theologian, said the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. Look, I'm not saying that everyone here needs to surrender to go to a four mission field. Unless God tells you to. If God's calling you to a foreign mission field, then look, you better go. And look, that's an issue me and April talk about. She's all, she always wants to be in world missions. I remember when you were Bible college, she, they would have a missions emphasis week, and they talk about missionaries. And every I had to work, work at night, and so she'd come home every night, and I'd get home after work, and she's like, oh, honey, God's called us to India. I'm like, God, God's called you to India. God had called me nowhere. <laughs> God, God's called us to sub-Saharan Africa. No, he hadn't. Have fun. I'm not going. You know, I, I pray for those who go, like, like uh, Junior McIntosh, our missionary to Belize. Man, I'm so grateful God called him there because there's snakes there, and I don't want to go. God called him because God knew if he called me to go to snake infested place, but yeah, no, I'm good. So God called me here. Sometimes if God's called you before mission fields, go. Maybe he hasn't. But we need to look for opportunities every day. To share the truth of the gospel. Look, it's not our responsibility to make sure everyone prays a prayer. It's just our responsibility to make sure everyone hears. Make sure everyone knows. We need to look for opportunities for people that God has placed in our life to share. We have the truth of the only way to God. What do we put about this? Thank you for listening to this message from New Grace Baptist Church. For more information about New Grace, check out our website at www.reachingroanoke.com.